the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 850-BABY. W262-CP. Bayonet Point. WTBN. Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse. Sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There are all kinds of situations like that at people we'd like to get even with. And we're all tempted to seek revenge. I'll fix him. I'll give him what's coming to him. I'll give him a piece of my mind. Uh, He needs to be taught a lesson. And I've discovered that I'm going to be his teacher. I'm going to do it. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve has been teaching for the past few weeks from 1 Samuel about a most remarkable man, King David. Every one of us from time to time experiences treatment from others that we would like to avenge. One popular way of expressing the urge when I was growing up was the phrase, I'll fix his little red wagon. Well, what if someone had hurt you badly, either emotionally, physically, or financially? And what if you were presented with a perfect opportunity to even the score? Would you do it? Not only do we not have to retaliate, God tells us that vengeance is his job, not ours. Let's go to the Word of God now for some principles that will help us resist the temptation to take on God's role as the Avenger. Now, this is a very critical issue. In seeking to be reconciled with someone who's hurt you, and listen to this, mark it well, it is not enough to refrain from retaliating. It's not enough. Anybody can do that. Lots of people do that. The Bible tells us to take it a step further and do something good for the person who has caused you to suffer. Now, I don't know uh, why that's neglected in the church. We don't hear much about it. It goes against our grain. Maybe that's why we don't hear about it. It's not something you necessarily feel like doing. But David did this, and I'm going to back it up with the New Testament. David did this. David told Saul about the good thing he did for him. You know what the good thing he did for Saul was? He didn't kill him. I'd say that's a great thing you do that for somebody. I cut off a little bit of your outfit. I didn't cut your head off. I didn't rip your heart out. That's good. And later on, notice verse 21 and 22. Saul says to David, now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you'll not destroy my name from my father's household. And David swore to Saul and Saul went to his home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. What that means is, is Saul said, promise me after I'm gone, you'll not destroy my family. And David, David kept his word. There was a crippled boy named Ephibosheth who uh, David took, uh, took care of. There were others who David took care of, and uh, he kept his word. That's a good thing to do. Saul said, I don't want my name or my descendants being erased from the face of the earth. I want to be remembered. I don't think he knew that he was going to be recorded in the Bible, and we'd all remember Saul for his rottenness. But he told David, he asked him to promise this, and David did something good. He didn't kill him, and later he promised to keep his descendants, take care of them. Now, this is totally consistent, I want you to know, with what the New Testament teaches about how to treat an enemy. And it's a truth that I find most Christians are either ignorant of or they just will not 
obey. So let me, let me show you what I mean. Back to Romans chapter 12. We'll be going back and forth. Romans chapter 12. Notice verse 17, which I think we have nailed down. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. That, that's what we've been studying. Don't, don't retaliate. And I think we've got that nailed down. I think we, we know that. It's a truth we've driven home for two weeks. It is always wrong to retaliate. There are no, no exceptions. It is always wrong to retaliate. But look at the next part of this verse. My version says this, which is the New American Standard Bible. It says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. The King James Version says, provide things honest in the sight of all men. And both of those versions really don't actually convey the original Greek. Let me tell you what the original Greek is. The original Greek word translated respect or provide means literally to think before, to premeditate, to plan beforehand, to think in advance, plan ahead. That's exactly what the word means. In other words, the thought here is this, plan ahead to, or make plans to do what is right in the sight of all men. That's, what, that's a good way to translate this, plan ahead to do right in the sight of all men. Paul's thought is this, that even before you're wronged by somebody, plan to return evil with goodness. And you say, well, how do I know? I don't know what they're going to do to me. I don't even know who they are. How can I plan good? I mean, in general, in general, there are certain situations that come up that you ought to think ahead of time. If this happens, what will I do? For example, if somebody cheats you in business, plan ahead. What are you going to do? What are you going to do if that happens? Or somebody wrongly criticizes you. They just blast you and they don't know the facts. What are you going to do? Plan ahead because if you don't plan ahead, you're going to emotionally respond and you're going to retaliate. So plan ahead. Or someone who gossips about you. They're telling things about you that maybe are even true. But it's still gossip because the other person is not part of the problem or the solution. It's gossip. Plan ahead. What are you going to do? Before the enemy strikes, sit down. And I mean this literally sit down and make some plans on how you would respond to certain hurtful situations. That is precisely what the Apostle Paul is telling the Christians at Rome. So what what Paul is teaching, what David exemplified is this. God tells us that we must plan ahead to respond to our enemies. Make some visible and tangible act of kindness be demonstrated towards an enemy. That is a tremendous truth. And now you have to, I think you literally have to sit down and creatively plan this out. Like you'd plan out a menu, ladies. This is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do. Now we often sit down and plan out how we're going to be vengeful. Let's sit down and plan out how we're going to do good things. This is consistent with what we taught last Sunday night, where uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is kind. The word kind means useful. Love does useful, beneficial things for others. That's, that's exactly this truth here. Now, the problem we face is this, and I said this a moment ago, and it's a challenge. Until someone wrongs us, we're not sure what would be the kindest thing to do to them because we're not sure who's going to cause us suffering. So you plan out in general, this is what I'm going to do, and then when your enemy shows his head, then you know what to do because notice verses 20 and 21. This will give you some guidance. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the biblical way to uh, seek reconciliation with an enemy is to discover what he needs, what she needs. 
And then, if you can, you meet those needs. If it's in your financial means or whatever. And that's what Paul means. If he's hungry, get him something to eat. If he's thirsty, get him a drink. Now, Paul's not exhausting this. This is just an example. In fact, he's quoting from Proverbs. Food and water don't exhaust his needs. It could be anything. As long as you are meeting his most pressing needs. That, that is exactly what this verse is, is saying. Meet a pressing need. Now, what's the purpose of doing this? Well, Paul said that you might heap um, burning coals on his head and that you might overcome evil with good. What does it mean to heap burning coals on his head? I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you, uh, you get even by burning your enemy's head. Obviously, it doesn't mean that. Burn his head. Or it also, it doesn't mean that you make your enemy feel guilty because you're so kind and they're so rotten. You know, how does that feel, pal? I hope you feel really good about what you've done to me. No, that, that's not the point at all because that's a subtle form of, uh, of a real stinky way of revenge. Oh, what Paul means is, is related, and this is, this is the culture of his day, it's related to the way they conducted warfare in his day. Uh, soldiers in the hill country would try to gain access to the heights of a hill. They'd try to get on the, the hill so that when the enemy's, enemy troops passed beneath them, they would shovel, little shove hot coals on their heads. And you know what? The result is you'd win. With hot coals on, on your enemy's head, you win. You defeated your enemy. They are no longer your, your enemy. You stop them in their tracks. You stop them cold in their tracks. You stop them hot in, in their tracks. Now, the coals that Paul is talking about are our good works, our good deeds towards an enemy, towards somebody who's hurt you, somebody who's caused you to suffer. Think about who's caused you to suffer. Think about somebody who's really caused you some pain. Paul is saying you are to heap all kinds of beneficial things upon, upon that individual that would meet their most pressing needs. In other words, by treating someone who's been so unkind to you with incredible kindness, just heap it upon them, you're going to stop your enemy from being your enemy, and you're going to make him your friend, hopefully. Hopefully, you're going to make him your friend. The point is this, that you're making every effort to be reconciled with your enemy, to make him your friend. Meet a real need. You aren't trying to buy his friendship by doing something kind for them. For them. It's not a payoff. You're just expressing real love. Let me ask you this. Is this not what salvation is about? Did Jesus Christ not die for us when we were his enemies? Did he not draw us into the family of God when we were hostile towards him? Romans chapter 5 teaches that. Let me read to you what Romans 5 says. This is, this is the same thing. Verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good, for the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For while for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we should be saved by his life. You and I were enemies of Jesus Christ when he died for us. And we were enemies all up until the time that he broke in on our lives and brought us to himself. So this is not new. This is the way Jesus has treated us. It was Abraham Lincoln years ago who said this, there are two ways of getting rid of your enemies, kill them or make them your friends. Paul says, don't kill them except with kindness. 
just pour out love upon them, regardless of how you feel. Now, is this not also what another Bible character did, what Joseph did? Remember, Joseph had horrible brothers who were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. They didn't care if he lived or died. Actually, they got a little money out of this. They sold him into slavery, and then he becomes second in charge of Egypt. He becomes the prime minister. And what does Joseph do? Does he return evil upon them? No, he feeds them. He takes care of them. He invites them to Egypt. He provides for them. He gives them money. He gives them food. He treats them well. And even when the father dies, they're still lying to him. They say, our father Jacob told us that, that to tell you to treat us nicely, they're still being deceptive and lying. And Joseph said, listen, I know you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I'll take care of you. That, that's exactly what this is. Do everything you can to meet your enemy's needs. They were his enemies. Their pressing need in the famine in Israel was food and all kinds of provisions. So this is how you become reconciled with an enemy. Number one, you set the record straight by communicating. Don't beat around the bush. Get right to the point. You're going to do that? If you have an enemy today, are you going to make plans? Uh, I'll call them up. I'll ask them to meet me somewhere. I'll go to their home. I'll talk to them after church, perhaps. That's what you need to do. Secondly, then you pour out kind and beneficial deeds on this person. You just pour it out. Say, I don't feel like it. Well, I don't know anybody who does feel like it, but do it anyway. So that's what you do. But now, there's a, a third, third truth here. And that's the first one, clear communication. David said, I'm not out to harm you. Secondly, uh, prove that you have good intentions by doing some good deeds to somebody. But there is a third truth, third principle for seeking reconciliation. Number three, let God be the avenger. Let God be the avenger. Leave it with the Lord. Let's go back to 1 Samuel, but keep your place in Romans 12. 1 Samuel 24, verses 12 through 15. Notice these verses. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients say, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hands shall not be against you. And after whom, after whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now what is David saying? With these words, David is informing Saul that he's not going to seek revenge. He didn't seek revenge in the cave and he's not going to seek it again. In fact, in chapter 26, David has another opportunity to kill Saul and he didn't do it. So David really means what he's, what he's saying. Instead, instead of seeking revenge, what he says is, I'm going to leave it with God. He'll be the avenger. I'm going to leave room for the wrath of God. After all, Saul, I am no problem to you. Coming out against me is like coming out against a dead dog, a, a, a little flea. I'm not going to fight you back. I'm not going to seek your revenge, or seek revenge upon you. Now, this is a powerful truth. This is really a powerful truth. It's not our job. Now we've said this before, don't retaliate, but this is taking it a step further. It's not our job to seek revenge, but it is God's job 
It is God's job, so let him do it without you interfering. You know why? Because you'll mess it up. Romans 12, once again, gives us the theology of this. Romans chapter 12. This is very important that you understand this. Paul is not just teaching don't retaliate because it's not a good thing to do. There is a reason why we're not to retaliate because it doesn't belong to us. It's not in our domain. Notice verse 19 of Romans 12. Never take your own revenge, beloved. And then he explains why. But leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He's quoting from the Old Testament. See, this, why this is important is this. This answers our cry for justice. So you might have sat through these two messages thinking, you know, I can't stand it that someone did something wrong and they're just going to get away with it. I want justice to prevail. And that's okay. We should want justice to prevail. The problem is we want to be the judge and the executioner as well. What this verse tells us is that... Uh, God is the judge and your sense of justice will be will be accomplished, but in God's own way and in his own timing. God will not let anyone get away with causing you harm and and suffering. He'll take care of the matter. Now, he may not do it the way you would. In fact, thank God he wouldn't do it the way you would or I would, because you know what? He knows their hearts. He knows their motives. He knows everything about it. God punishes righteously. He's not emotionally attached to it. I am. I can't think straight. I can't think clearly when somebody hurts me and I want to get back at them. And I wouldn't be fair, but God is. He's totally fair. He sees all the motives, the heart, the actions, the situation. He'll take care of it. Leave room for the wrath of God. You and I are never to execute justice on someone who's hurt us That belongs only to God. And you know what? If you and I step in, you know what we are? We're guilty of being a usurper of God. We usurp God. We say, God, move over. I'm taking over. That's what Paul means. He says, leave room for the wrath of God. There's only so much room for wrath. Don't get in that closet. Leave it for God. Don't take it out of God's hands. Because if you and I start, start punishing people, we're going to take it out of God's hands. And that's what we, uh, what we do. And we mess things up. And we wonder, why is life so complicated? Leave it to him. So if you've made it a point to take revenge, as somebody said, somebody I was reading this week said this, lay down those guns, your Wild West days are over. They're over. Some of us are real gunslingers. We've been doing it so long. And we carry it into the Christian life The new man does not live like that. Leave your hurts with the Lord and he'll take care of the people who have wronged you. Is this not what Jesus did? It says in 1 Peter 2 when he was was hit and he was insulted, he did not strike back, but he uh, trusted himself to the one who judges righteously. So these are the steps that David took with Saul to be reconciled. And these are the steps that you need to, to take. Number one, honest communication. Set the record straight. Is there somebody, it it could be even a spouse, somebody that you've got just ongoing problems with. Set the record straight. Tell them exactly the truth. Don't base it on hearsay. Is it somebody you've got a conflict with in the church? Tell them the problem. Don't go telling other people. Tell them the problem. You might find out that it can be cleared up like that because Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Secondly, Do something good, something practical. 
and good for, the, uh, for that person. It could be anything. The Bible doesn't even tell us what to do. Just find out their most pressing needs and do it. Do it. It could be a host of things, but meet their greatest needs. And then number three, leave it with God. Let God be the avenger and don't leave it with him for five minutes and then take it back. Let God deal with the person. He'll do it. If they're guilty, he'll do it. Now, you may wonder, so did it work with Saul? Did all this work? Were they reconciled? Well, let's look. Verses 16 through the end of the chapter say this. Now, it came about when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, is this your voice, my son, David? Then Saul lifted up his voice and he wept. And he said to David, you're more righteous than I, for you have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. And you have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you've done for me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. So now swear to me by the Lord that you'll not cut off my descendants after me and that you'll not destroy my name from my father's household. And David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his house, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. Saul wept. He was emotionally moved to tears over David's kindness. But you know what? This wasn't real repentance. It's just an emotional response. Why do I say it wasn't real repentance? Because later on, in chapter 26, he's trying to kill him again. He's after him. It's not real repentance. It's just an emotional uh, uh, response. It may not have brought reconciliation, but remember, what does Romans say? Seek peace if possible. It may not always be possible. In Saul's case, it was not possible. But you know what? It was not possible because Saul had a hard heart. But here's the good thing. Saul saw in David demonstrated a very, very godly character. It's great testimony. He said, I've seen your kindness. Saul should have repented right there. I've seen your kindness. I, I, I've seen something of God in you. And you know what? It may very well be that as you seek reconciliation with others, they will respond. It could be repentance, hopefully. But even if not, they're going to see great Christ-likeness in you. If for nothing else, they will see Christ in your life. You will glorify God by showing them the kindness of God. They may still hate you, but you'll be a shining testimony for Jesus Christ. Let's take it a step further. Better yet, wouldn't it be wonderful if they were converted? Wouldn't it be wonderful if they were convicted by your testimony, your Christ-likeness? I read a story recently about a Christian who was in the army and he had formed a habit of praying beside his bed before he went to sleep. Well, that's probably not a popular thing to do in the army. But he kept up this practice when he went in the army and he became an object of mockery and ridicule to other soldiers. And one night as he knelt to pray after a long, weary march, one of his tormentors took off his muddy boots and one by one threw it at the, uh, the Christian soldier, hit him, one by one. Each side of the head, he got smacked with a muddy boot. Well, he said nothing at that point. The Christian just took the boots. He put them beside his bed. He continued to, to pray. But the next morning, when the other man woke up who had thrown these, these boots at him, he found his boots sitting beside his bed. And guess what? They were shined and they were polished. 
And it so broke his heart that he came to that young man and asked him for forgiveness. And eventually that young man, Christian, had the opportunity to lead his uh, ridiculer to faith in Christ. Hey, that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul means when he says, overcome evil with good. David is our example, but we've got to put it into practice. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this message about retaliation on the next Verse by Verse. We at Verse by Verse Ministries are delighted to be a part of bringing his practical Bible lessons to your radio. If you would like to be a part of this ministry, you can learn how at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Just click the Support Us link near the top of the page. That's versebyverseradio, all one word, dot O-R-G. Today's class was the start of a two-part message. You can order a CD or cassette with the entire message by calling us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and phone number and we'll return your call during regular office hours. Again, that's 727-239-0306. We had a cat many years ago who insisted on helping out when it was feeding time. He stuck his nose into every step of the process, and we spent more time pushing him out of the way than we did getting his food into the dish. In many respects, we are like that with God. We keep getting in his way by trying to take over many of the things that he ought to be doing. Let's plan to meet again for the next Verse by Verse and consider why it is so important to let God even the score. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.